Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor John. Well, I want to um, give an introduction to our guest preacher for today. Uh, his name is Pastor Brian Zhang, and he is the college pastor at Four Oaks Midtown. Four Oaks is a church that's kind of been on a similar trajectory uh, as us. Um, they started, I think, a couple years before us, Four Oaks Midtown, and uh, have a lot of shared values, a lot of college students that go there. And Brian's a really important to the discipleship of those students. Um, been becoming friends uh, with Brian uh, um, over these last couple of months and wanted to introduce him to you guys and also just uh, introduce you to him before I go, just in case Pastor John needs to tap a guest preacher on the shoulders after I leave for sabbatical. But um, really like the guy. I look forward to you guys getting a chance to meet him here this morning. Uh, so, um, uh, Pastor Brian, do you want to just just give a wave and say hi, and uh, and then I'll I'll say a prayer for you. You unmute and, and give us a wave just so we can see your face. Hello, everybody. <laughs> All right, there he is. Let me say a word of prayer for Pastor Brian. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, your son, your servant Brian, uh, for his passion for your word. Um, for his ministry among college students and adults. And uh, we pray that as he opens up Psalm 63 for us this morning, that our hearts would thirst for you as in a dry and weary land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that. It's good to be here with you guys. And uh, Pastor John, that was a great kids uh, sermon. I'm like, man, I don't even know what I need to say. That was a... Uh... That was it. That was my message. But I'm great, grateful to be here with you guys and uh, want to get started. Taylor said I only had an hour to preach, so I want to make this quick. And <laughs> I just saw a bunch of people log off. I'm just kidding. This is just a joke. This is just a joke. But so uh, we're going to be in Psalm 63. You can, you can go 90. You can go 90 minutes, man. You okay. can go 90 minutes. It's fine. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Opportunity. We're going to be in Psalm 63, and we uh, heard a beautiful musical rendition of that. And uh, one of the great things about the book of Psalms in my life and, uh, you know, in the life of so many saints in the church is that it helps us connect what we know to be true about God with our everyday life experiences. And oftentimes those two can feel like they're in conflict. We experience the world in many ways. We experience the tragedy of life. We experience the pain of life. We experience the joys of life. And it comes and it goes. And we also have this theology, this understanding about the unchanging character and goodness and nature of God. And how we connect those abstract ideas with our everyday lived experience is laid out for us in powerful ways in the book of Psalms. The Psalms are how people work their theology into their actual lives. And we meet David in this Psalm. He's on the run. He's in the wilderness. And uh, he is fearing for his life. He's afraid. And he feels the absence of God. He's on the run. And he's not exactly sure what God is doing in his life. And, and, and he feels this sense of a disconnect between the actual place he's in, the, the desert he's in, and what he knows to be true about God. And many of us have felt that same 
absence or that same emotional contradiction in our lives. And we are haunted in many ways by God's absence. We can feel that reality. What's so interesting about this psalm is that David isn't content just to feel like God's gone, he's abandoned me, I'm in the wild, there's nothing I can do here. David responds in a specific way. He responds with this prayer that expresses his faith in two unique ways. First, he, he makes a prayer of praise. He praises God in the middle of the wilderness. And second, he meditates on God's character. And praise and meditation are these two aspects of how his faith comes alive in this prayer in the midst of this experience of God's absence. That's what I want to focus on, uh, how we praise God in the middle of dry seasons, uh, in, in the middle of our trials, and how we meditate on God in the middle of our trials. So let's look at the first reality, that we can seek God in praise in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of our trials. David begins by recognizing his greatest need. And it's interesting because it's not reclaiming his throne. It's not his personal safety. It's not his personal comfort. Those are all important and certainly important to God. But the thing that grips his mind the most is his need for God. It's a whole body experience. His soul thirsts for God and his flesh faints for God. We often will say, you know, we, I know that I need to eat and drink, right? You need to, you need to eat healthy. You need to eat well. And we, we, we have this abstract sense of knowing that we need food and drink to live. But it's not until we're thirsty, not until we're parched, not until we're fainting because we haven't had anything to eat that we realize we really need this to survive. This is a fundamental human need. And in a similar way, we can say, we need God, I need God, I need to be close to God, as sort of just the spiritual thing that we say. But until we experience a sense of his absence, until we feel suffering and trials in this life, we don't really know what we're saying. And then when we're in those moments in the wilderness, when we're in those moments when things are beyond us, that's when we realize this is a real thing. I really do need God. I need to be near to God. He is my life. And so in the midst of this sense of God's absence, David cries out to his God, and he cries out with hands lifted high, and he blesses the name of God. And he says this, he says, your steadfast love is better than life. Your steadfast love is better than life. I want to pause on that really quick, because sometimes when we hear somebody say that, or we read David saying that, our first thought, at least for me, is, I wish I had a spiritual life like David, that I could say that, right? I, I don't know that I've ever felt that his steadfast love is greater than life for more than like a minute, two minutes. I don't know. That's not a constant thing in my life. And so what ends up happening is we read that and we end up focusing more on David than the truth of what he's actually saying. And one of the things that makes it difficult for us to praise is we, we, we get discouraged. We think, well, until I actually feel that that's true, I can't say it. Until I actually feel like God is, is that, that praiseworthy, I feel like I'm faking it, it's not real, and, and I need to have this barometer of feeling to hit a certain point before I can actually say that.
But no, but remember, David, David is, is in the middle of one of the hardest trials of his life. I don't know that he's exactly feeling like he's on, you know, cloud nine, you know, feeling exceptionally close to God, but he still praises God because he's speaking something that's simply true. It is simply a fact of reality that God's steadfast love is better than life, that God's love is the greatest gift we can receive, that we need it, and that it is as satisfying as the scriptures say. This is simply an objective truth about reality. And David is praising that fact regardless of how he feels. And if we wait until we really feel it to speak these things about God, one, we're making our emotions the barometer of when we praise God, rather than the fact that God is unchanging and always worthy of praise, that he simply is good. And, that, and if he's always good, we always have a reason to praise him. But the second thing is that when do we, when do we actually really totally feel it? You know, we can never feel the amount of joy we should at these truths. We can never feel as joyful and grateful as we ought to. And this is an important point that God isn't, God is praiseworthy, not because he calls us to praise him, not because he needs it, not because he's insecure and he needs just this cheering group to, to, to push him forward. But God calling us to praise him is actually a grace to us. It's actually his gift to us. David says he's going to praise God all the days of his life. Why? Because God is always praiseworthy. His character is so good and it is immutable. It is unchanging. And that means that when we praise him, God is fine with our practicing how to praise him. We're not always going to feel, we're not always going to have uh, the, the highest level of joy, but God still wants us to engage in that discipline. And what happens when we, when we push ourselves to praise, even though we're in the middle of sadness and sorrow, what brings God to the forefront of our minds? It humbles us. It makes us look away from ourselves, the source of so many of our problems, toward God, his goodness, and we set our minds upon him. And just the act of praising him is an act of faith against how we see the world around us, against what we're feeling in our own internal lives. We trust the goodness and character of God and we praise him regardless. And that actual act is transformative because it lifts our eyes up. And you read in the Psalms and so many of them, it starts with a really dire situation and then a remembrance of the truth of God and a working in of that that ends up in praise, that ends up in relief, that ends up in actually feeling and experiencing the joy of the Lord. So God wants us to practice prayer. And that means that it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to feel like a mountaintop experience, but that God is working through even our most feeble efforts to lift our eyes up to the Lord. So praise is something we can always do in the wilderness. But the second thing we can do is we can meditate. We can meditate on the character of God. David says that being with God, that God's presence is more satisfying than a rich feast. It's this fat meal. It's this wonderful thing that God places before us, his own very presence. He'll be satisfied. And this satisfaction is something that David comes to not flippantly, 
But, but how, does he, how does he experience that satisfaction? He remembers God upon his bed and meditates on him in the watches of the night. He meditates on the character of God. Meditation is this idea, it's, it, it's, there's, a, there's a phrase that goes with it, chewing the cud, which is a Jewish idea of cows, when they eat grass, they'll digest it. And they'll actually, this is kind of gross, but they'll throw it back up in their mouth chew it again, digest it, throw it up back again in their mouth. And it's this process of maximizing nutritional intake from what they're eating. And that idea is, is kind of what we do in meditation. Meditation is focused, deep thinking about the word of God. And oftentimes we miss out on this. We miss out on the, on the nutrition of the word of God because we're so hurried. We, we just get, want to get through it just so we can get to, you know, all the important things we have to do during the day. But meditation is so key. It, we have to slow down. We're kind of like a, oftentimes we're like a, a guy with frostbite. He walks in from a, a blizzard and he sits by a fire for five seconds and goes, you know what? I don't think fire works. I'm not warm, right? But you have to sit by the fire for longer than five seconds. You have to let it kindle you and warm you over time. And that's what meditation is. David takes time to focus on and think about God's word. And the reality is we're always meditating on something. We're either meditating on our fears and our anxieties, our bitterness, our resentments, our, our envies, or we're meditating on the truth of who God is. So we're always meditating. And it, it reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, we, we often focus on the younger brother who's sort of going off and doing his own thing, and the gospel message is for him. But in reality, the gospel message is also for the older brother, the older brother who stays at home. And it's interesting, at the end of the parable, the older brother talks to his father and says, I've worked tirelessly for you. I have served you. I've done everything you've told me. And yet you give my younger brother this great feast. Why haven't you given me a feast? And I love what the father says. He says, Son, you've always been with me, and all that I have is yours. All that I have is yours. But what's the older son meditating on? He's meditating on his resentments. He's meditating on his hatred for his younger brother. He's meditating on, him, on himself and his own works. And he misses out on the, on, on the fact that his father at any time would open up the gates of blessing and of a joyous meal for him if he would simply walk inside, humble himself, and sit and I think that's often our attitude. We can be focused on good things, raising a family, doing ministry, doing all these important things, and we miss the most important thing. We miss that God is lavish in his grace and opening up himself in his word and says, just sit with me, sit here and linger for a moment. Let the word of God kindle your cold heart, but it's going to take time. And like with all good meals, you only are satisfied when you sit and you savor it. And that's my exhortation to you to sit and savor the word of God. God is not stingy. God is gracious. And so often we're the reluctant ones to actually receive all that he has promised to us because we're too hurried. And we won't sit and meditate and think deeply and give the spirit of God the time and the space in our hearts to change us from the inside out. And this is not some Zen Christianity I'm advocating. And I wanna, I wanna finish with this thought. You know, this is, 
being close to God or knowing the presence of God is not an escape from the tragedies of this life. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a man, the perfect man, who had a perfect relationship with the Father. And he spends all night weeping and sweating drops of blood. So faith doesn't have to be buoyant all the time. It doesn't have to be joyous. It can be depressed. It can be sad. It can be filled with agony. Faith is simply turning to God, turning toward his faith in, what, in whatever state you find yourself in. And we see that in Jesus himself, who in his agony still communes with the Father. And David ends this psalm with the hope of victory, that one day the king will rejoice and his people will exult. But it's still a future reality. And the truth is that we're never going to have perfect communion with God in this life. And if we do, it'll just be in fleeting moments. It won't be a constant thing because we still live in a fallen world and we're still sinful in our own flesh. But there is this hope that all the little joys and deliverances we face in this life and experience are just a foretaste of the feast that is to come. And prayer, prayers like the prayers we find in Psalm 63 are how we anticipate that final deliverance when the fullness of God will be revealed to us in the resurrection, when we will see his face and all the longings we have in the wilderness will find their satisfaction with God. Why don't you pray with me? Our Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you lead us in praise and prayer through your psalms, that through these words, we can, we can come before your throne in whatever emotional state we're in, whatever we're feeling, and know that you are, are good, that you are gracious to us. And Lord, so often our praise is half-hearted. Our, our praise is, can feel forced. But you are so patient with us. You still call us to do it. And as we practice this discipline, as we practice meditation, you, by your grace, teach us of your holiness, of your goodness, of your love. And you transform us. And we can't even praise you or meditate without your grace, without your love, without your empowering spirit doing this for us. And so we praise your name for that, that you care for us, that you delight to draw near to us as we draw near to you. And I ask that if there are people who are struggling in their own lives with this, that Psalm 63 would give them hope, would, would crack light into the darkness and give them a release and a relief and a greater sense of trust in your goodness. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.